You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening in today. And uh, as always, we've got uh, our special host on who is uh, Agent in Charge. And uh, I think we're the only radio station in the country that probably has a... uh, agent in charge and uh, we're we're glad to have him mr sandy bostic from the rainy part of texas today which is good <laughs> always like that rain out in texas and uh rain's a good thing hey david good, good morning it's, it's always good to be back on american web radio well thank you sir and uh we uh i understand you had some comments and we're Basically, uh, I think Sandy's going to sort of carry on from uh, where he was the other day on the show and talking about uh, federal investigations. And if you get called up to be investigated, what do you do? And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Sandy and let him rock and roll. All right. Thanks, Dave. So, yeah, let's just... uh, I was. Uh, I've had some several comments on the last show and, and raised a, a lot of questions about different things. And so I'm gonna. When we left last time, I uh, left saying that uh, that I left you with the best advice I can give you if you if you find out or suspect that you're being investigated by either a federal or a state agency, is get a really good lawyer. And we'll go into that in more detail. And uh, the first thing I want to do, because this came up and I had I had left this out. And uh, kind of intentionally, but it came it came to my attention through some listeners about uh, what is a wiretap. You know, so where does it? But I but I I, can't, I used uh, four different uh, types of investigations. Uh, just described them: the reactionary to an event, such as a person caught smuggling or a terrorist attack, uh, information received through informants, through uh, concerned citizens, cooperating defendants, etc. Sting operations, which are usually undercover, and, uh, and that, you can do an entire you know segment on that at some point, and uh, really interesting how they work. And, of course, then the UC introduction, undercover agent introduction, usually through an informant to a criminal organization. That's the four main types that uh, investigations, that the, especially the federal agents do. And uh, one of the tools they use, the question was about the uh, wiretaps. What is a wiretap? You know, where's the, uh, and I'm not an attorney. I just want to say I, I am going to have some, good, some really top-notch attorneys on the show in the, in the near future that can go into a lot of these whys and histories of these laws uh, better than I can. And uh, But like I said, I'm just going off of my experience and having worked with in, in this world for, you know, the better part of 25 years. And uh, what I'm going to talk uh, as far as the, what a wiretap is, is where it originated. It's called the Title Three of the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act of 1968, the Wiretap Act. And that's 18 U.S. Code 2510-22. And uh, basically what the law says, okay, it says it prohibits the unauthorized, non-consensual interception of wire, oil, or electronic communications by government agencies as well as private parties. It establishes procedures for obtaining warrants to authorize wiretapping by government officials and regulates the disclosure and use of authorized intercepted communications by investigative and law enforcement officers. So what that says, the whole intent is to keep... Uh, law enforcement playing by the same set of rules that the citizens have to pay by 
as far as your civil liberties go and as far as what the government, their right or their, their uh, not so much their right, but what, what they are allowed to do and not allowed to do in regards to basically interference with, with the privacy of your life, you know, the privacy of who you talk to and what you do. And so not to go to, into a whole lot of detail because this is something that can also be talked to a bit of death by some really good attorneys I know. But uh, basically, what it, 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 it sets up the, the, the roadmap for uh, a special agent who has uh, probable cause to believe that, that there is, you know, someone is involved. Usually, it's like in a drug conspiracy, narcotics conspiracy. And this judge, the uh, agent will work with a, with a prosecutor will, uh, when they, let me back up just a little bit. I, we call it a tool, but really what it is, it's, it's, a, it's about the most intrusive act that law enforcement can do in, as far as an investigation goes into an individual. And so you're basically, when you've exhausted everything that you could possibly try, through undercover operations, through informants, uh, interviews, if, when you, if you have nowhere else to go but you can still show probable cause that this person is most likely our organization is most likely involved in, in a uh, criminal conspiracy, drug smuggling, uh, for example, or, or human trafficking. Then you, this, the agent can go to a federal judge, explain this in, uh, in, to the judge, and provide what they'll usually write, well, they have to write a, an affidavit. And the affidavit lays out the facts of the case, the, uh, the information received, where the case is going, and also it gives a timeline as to how long that they believe that, that they will need to listen to this, this person's private conversations. So either the judge reads it, discusses it with the, uh, the prosecutor and the, and the agent, and either they decide that, yes, okay, there is probable cause that this is the last, uh, last uh, resource, last thing to do, last, last tool you have in your tool test to get into these people, or he decides that no, that there's not probable cause, there's not justification, and he'll shoot the whole thing down, and you go back and start all over again. And so it's a very in-depth process, a very expensive process that the government goes through. I was never a big fan of the uh, wiretaps. And basically, what it is, I mean, today it's a whole different. It started out back in the good old days, back in the '60s, as you were just listening to phone conversations. That was about the most most electronic conversations back there were done by phone. But today, of course, it covers emails. It covers. Uh, uh, your uh, uh, text messages, it covers all types of, you know, any type of electronic transmission that you may have that, that the government can monitor. Now, the thing is, they can't just listen on the phone and listen to you all the time. They have to do what they call uh, a, uh, the term slips my mind. Basically, they have, if you're not talking about criminal activity, they can't listen. They can only jump in and jump out of your conversations as they're listening in. And, uh, but, I was never a big fan of the wiretaps, number one, because they're, you know, they are very intrusive and they're very time consuming. I was much more of a fan of, uh, or I wouldn't say a fan, but I was really, I was, I was a lot better at working informants and undercover operations and I was never a case agent on a, on a wiretap. And, uh, I've, I guess if there had been a, a real reason for me to get into that, you know, to go that direction, I would have. But I, I did not. I was always successful enough through the informants and undercover operations and, and uh, the different methods that we used to get the information that I was real successful in all my cases. And uh, But I know that the DEA and I know the FBI, especially in, uh, in national security cases, they use quite a few of these taps. And, and so and, and there are convincing judges, obviously, that, that, that they do have the, uh, the right to do it. But like I said, this is a, a last resort. 
And uh, it's, 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 but unfortunately, I do know this for sure. With I know a lot of you, I know have a lot of friends who are in and were in the DEA. That you know, it's one of their uh, one of their uh, criteria in order to advance from a uh, just a, a special agent to a senior special agent that you have to have been a uh, case agent on a wire on a uh, wire intercept title three wire wire intercept. So therefore, I, this is you know you see more coming from these agencies like this because. Number one, it's a criteria, and two, I mean, I, they uh, it, it does make things a little bit easier as far as trying to establish where you want to go with the case. But like I say, the thing is, it's just it's very expensive, a lot of very uh, manpower intensive, and and, uh, and I think sometimes overused. So anyway, I hope that explains what a, a Title Three wire tap is and uh, and legalities. Uh, when I had to, I mean, the thing is, you, you once you get your affidavit, you which when you get your your warrant signed. And, and everything is approved, then you're also, as a case agent, you're reporting back to the judge. You said that it was every 30 days as to what's going on, and, and you revisit with the judge whether it's it's advisable or, or legal to continue on with the uh, with the wiretap. So any questions on that, Dave? Uh, did that make it totally convoluted? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, We've all, at one time or the other, wondered, well, I wonder if my phone's being tapped. And uh, <laughs> you, you hear clicking or something like that, and there's no way, you know, to find out or prove or whatever. But uh, I personally think uh, if there's just cause and, and, you know, that it's a good tool. And uh, I would imagine over the years... Uh, Back when the telephones were first born, <laughs> that uh, the the federal agents had a right to listen, and if they were proving a case, then uh, I have no qualms about it at all. And uh, whether it's uh, the mafia or anything else, that uh, right? Uh, these I say these organizations. I mean, and I, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't. I won't say it's it's overused. It's to say I always found ways to get around it, and uh, and I just had a different skill set, and uh, and so you know now I've worked on wires, and I've, I have uh, I have supervised them before, and uh, so I know all the mechanics that go into them. But and uh, but actually, yeah, but, but there are times. I mean, when especially when it comes to national security cases, I mean they're they're very much needed because you know there's especially in your terrorist organization, they're a, they're they're a closed society, and uh, so. You know, trying to get informants into them sometimes is practically impossible. You know, so, one other – pardon me. One other thing on. that uh, came to mind as you were talking about the things that you like to do uh, as opposed to wiretap, but um, either getting your information from an informer or undercover, I personally – I, my God, I, I can't imagine going undercover and knowing that that big bulge in the – in the left-hand side um, was a uh, nine millimeter or whatever it might be, and uh, you know, I I guess I got to ask too. You said that you know you're going undercover. How much did you uh, would you make up or not make up or just go like you were? Go and did you wear a wire when you were going undercover most of the time? 
Yeah, you know, now I I, uh, I was more. I, mean, I I did work undercover some. I didn't spend most of my career undercover. A lot of the, you know, people, agents that are really uh, talented actors, you know, that can uh, that have good memories and can really do the the uh, the, the job right. They're far and few between, and all those guys will make their entire career working undercover. They they enjoy it, and, and uh, but uh, but as far as yes, I mean there are there are lots of uh, protocols, lots of policies, lots of rules that, that each agency follows when a person goes undercover. And uh, number one is you know you you have to unlike you see on TV where they drop somebody off and you know and they report in every couple of weeks or whatever that doesn't really happen. I mean it happens more in the intelligence community than it does in law enforcement. And, uh, but, uh, you know, back in the good old days, maybe back in the 1960s, I guess, you know, and before that, there was probably more of that going on because it was easier to infiltrate them because, and there was, the, you didn't have the ability to, uh, monitor them electronically like you do today. But, but yes, well, one of the, one of the main requirements when I worked undercover and my agents worked undercover, they always had some type of a, we call them a transmitter and, uh, that's picking up the conversation. And, uh, number one, and it's just picking up the conversation between the undercover agent and the, uh, the, the suspect. Uh, you're recording it. It's all being recorded, of course, as evidence. But number one, but the most important thing is to, to, uh, protect that agent who's in that situation undercover. You have what they call a cover team. And the cover team is, is close by. If two things go wrong, they're, they're suited up with guns and body armor and ready to go in there and rescue the, the agent that in the event they get to jam. And it does happen, you know. And uh, you know, remember, you're dealing with, with dangerous people, and so. But like I say, it's a uh, definitely a, a talent, and it's uh, working undercover is something that uh, some people are just better at than other people. And it is a lot of acting. But like I say, you know, the, one of the most important things that that I always try to do with my my folks when they're working undercover, and myself as well, my cases is that we you want to minimize your undercover time uh, as far as actual contact time because the more the everything out of an undercover agent's mouth is a lie okay everything they're saying is it's been it's, it's, it's a story that's been gone over over and over again and so like any lie okay the longer it's out there the more chances it has to fall apart because all lies fall apart there's no two way baby if you if you if you keep asking somebody questions about a lie, and then, you know, the details don't match. You know, if something really happened, then, of course, everything is cohesive and, and it connects. And so that's what you want to do is get your person in there, get the information as best you can, as fast as you can, and get them out, number one, for safety's sake, and number two, you don't want the case to fall apart. And so, uh, but anyway, so, yeah, so that's, uh, it's a, uh, it's a definitely an interesting world, you know. You know, I guess one of the things that I'm getting out of this program, and uh, I always enjoy when, I, when I'm learning something new from one of our hosts or whatever, but, you know, the what you all go through, it's, it's everybody thinks that, uh, or I say everybody, that's, that's a broad brush statement, which is not true, but I know for myself, you think about law enforcement or you think about, uh, 007 or you think about anything you know along these lines and the going undercover and all of this kind of stuff and it's all based on what we've seen on on television you know at one time or the other and some of it's got to be true and some of it's got to be like you said uh, not only a, a little bit of a lie but a big lie and right. and yet uh, I can't imagine me personally I guess because I'm a chicken but um <laughs> 
and we all get scared, but you know, because sometimes you 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 learn how to work through it. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the best parts of the training that, that that you the one thing that really goes with you through the rest of your life, and, and all the different uh, training uh, academies and and, and uh, uh, other training programs I went through is that is that you know you learn how to not panic. You know, as I said, you know, knowledge is knowing what to do when something goes wrong will keep you from panicking. You know, and so that so there's a lot of role playing that goes on during training scenarios and. And there's like you know there's there, there a lot of practice goes into this undercover stuff and and uh, and so you know and, and the whole the whole nine yards of course the whole job is in itself and you just you know through knowledge and through practice I mean you learn how to control your panic. So. Well, my panic would start when I I took the first step towards the door at the house, you know, and <laughs> I would. <laughs> Turn and run. No, I, I just, uh, I, I respect, you know, the more you talk and the more you tell us about what you did, the, you know, and, and the kind of person that will do this job, and yet it's a, it's a very important job in keeping our country safe and keeping whether it's uh, dealing with drugs or dealing with money or just uh, like... You know, you were talking about uh, in the uh, people trafficking, and Atlanta's got a hell of a big problem with that, uh, particularly the, uh, uh, from what I understand, the, the young girls that are, are brought in here, that uh, uh, Atlanta's one of the, one of the major cities in, uh, in trafficking, and I just, you know... Quite frankly, this is all so foreign to me that I'm hanging on every word. <laughs> well, good. I don't know. At least not so, after all, uh, two years later, after I retire, at least somebody's still listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So, well, that, but just you know, talking talk about going to the front door, and uh, I know he's getting about time for a break here. But just a real quick story on that. Uh, the very when I when I out of the academy a few weeks into it, there and I, I, uh, in the when I was in Baltimore as customs agent, uh, when I was working uh, with their, our money laundering group, and they had this huge case called uh, Green Ice. And when we started taking it down, we were doing dozens of, uh, of search and arrest warrants all through uh, Baltimore. And I was the uh, I was on one team going to a guy by the name his name was uh, Moshi Motai, and uh, he was actually uh, from Israel. He was a, a big time money launderer working the working the heroin money through some jewelry stores he owned in the D.C. area. And so anyway, this guy, uh, I didn't find out till later, okay, that he was former Mossad. He was special uh, special forces operator from Israel. Wow. And, uh, and and so this never came up during the briefing. I don't know, maybe I wasn't listening, maybe I, maybe I just missed it, but uh, so anyway... So I was a new guy and just right out of the academy. And so we had, we were suited up, went up to his front door, daybreak, and, and uh, standing behind me was a, they was still a good friend of mine, I think, Byron Bragg. And Byron Bragg was a customs agent and he was a, uh, stood about, Brian's probably about 6'8, six, 6'9. Six, Back then, he probably weighed 280, 290, 300 pounds, still in shape, and was a former All American from Alabama. Defensive end, and he played pro football in, uh, for Tampa Bay and, uh, and for the and for Green Bay. And so, uh, you know, he had retired from the NFL and, and was a customs agent, and he was right behind me. So, anyway, so I knocked and announced, I knocked on the door, and, and all, we were hoping that maybe his wife or someone would answer it, but actually, Mr. Motai answered. 
And so I asked him, I said, I, of course, we had, everybody had their guns out. And I said, uh, are you Moshi Motai? He said, yes, I am. I said, well, I have a warrant for your arrest. I said, I need you to turn around. And so, of course, there's a stack of guys behind me, though. And so uh went in there, I handcuffed him, set him down, and then the agents went in, secured the house, and, did, and started the search warrant. And big buyer walks up to me, he puts his hand on my shoulder, he goes, he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, that was real brave. I said, you know that guy's former Mossad, don't you? <laughs> I, said, I said, no. I said, why y'all tell me that? I said, that was a good time to tell me this. Why didn't you tell you on in? He just laughed. He said, he goes, don't worry. He said, I was behind you. He said, he wasn't going to do anything to you. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, things like that, you know, common sense. But uh, anyway, so. Uh, it's it's good that yeah, you can laugh about it now because at the time it could have been a situation that you might not have been doing a whole lot of laughing. That's true. I mean, I'm sure the guy was probably better trained than me, and uh, and so. Uh, but uh, but like I say, I mean, you know, when you look back and and yes, I mean, there is fear. I mean, there's always fear. I mean, anybody tells you they're not afraid, they're they're, they're lying to you. And so, but you just like say, but you know, I've been well trained to that point, and I had already been in the uh, the, the law enforcement business a number of years already. And so, uh, through through knowledge, you learn how to control your panic, you know. So, and you know, it's it's. I don't want to say it's like being in the military, but in some ways, it is. If uh, if you trust the people that have your six or have your back, you know, and uh, and, and that is important. I mean, they there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, effort put into hiring good people. All the all the agencies do that. I mean, you just. But the bottom line is you have to have good people in those positions because you can't have a hap- haphazard person who doesn't take it seriously, who doesn't want to be there. And uh, because you'll be miserable. If you really enjoy that type of work, you'll love it because there's no two days are the same. Uh, I never had a day I got up I didn't want to go to work. There were times that I would get a little butterflies when I'd have to go testify and, and during a trial or during a hearing, but everybody gets that way. You, know, you just want to make sure that you do a good job. But, you know, it, it's definitely a world full of A-type personalities who are who are very dedicated to doing what they do, and which is going to take us into our next segment here when we start talking about what to do when you do find out when when Sandy Bossick knocks on your door and your motion your motile, and all of a sudden you realize you're under investigation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on uh, that, that would be a uh, well, let me back up a minute. I started to say that would be a very intimidating knock, but at the same token, and I, I, well, this just comes into a question. You know if you've been doing something that's, to say the least, questionable, you know, even selling drugs out of your garage or you've been laundering money or something, so, so the knock on the door... How many times do you think it was actually a surprise? You know, it's funny you ask. That was my, my, I just took up my notes. I wanted to make sure I made this point. Because when you do the job right, when you really, you do do it according to the way you were trained, you you think your way through it, you don't rush through it, you have a good attorney working with you, good prosecutor. I don't think anybody knew until the day I showed up on their door that they were being investigated. I mean, in my cases, because when you do it right, I mean, it's always a surprise all of a sudden when we're there because you don't want them to know that you're coming. Now, there are times that they'll see the writing on the wall, but to my knowledge, nobody knew until the day that I was there that uh, that that they that, we, that they were being looked at. That they were that, uh, most time the most time I showed up at the door, I had I had a warrant for their arrest. They had been indicted in a search warrant. That was, you know, their first real contact with me. 
you know, but yeah. not in all cases, but but in most of the cases. But surely, if if a guy is selling drugs, <laughs> surely he knows that might be illegal. Or if he's laundering <laughs> money, that might yeah, be no, illegal. Or if he's bringing uh, teenagers in for sex, that might be illegal. So I mean, they, yeah, and I, I had a guy one time that was a small case. It was actually an inspector case that uh, that the customs inspectors at the port of entry in Del Rio had picked up. And, it was like 40 pounds of marijuana in a gas tank, something like that. And, and so uh, I went down. I was, I was a, what they call a duty call. Whenever they would, uh, you know, when the phone would ring for the port of entry, we'd go down and investigate it. So I had the, uh, the suspect in the in the, the uh, interview room, and I asked him, I said, I told him, I said, he goes, he goes well, what am I looking at here time-wise if I don't cooperate? And I said, I don't know, anywhere probably four to ten years, you know, depends on what the judge decides to do with it. And he goes, Four to ten years, he said. I can't spend that much time in jail. And I asked him. I said, "Well, didn't you even consider that for you went to this line of work? <laughs> this can happen to somebody if you smuggle narcotics." And he said, "Well, yeah, I guess I guess it really can." And I said, "Yeah." So he made a deal. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't spend that much time in jail. But uh, like I say, yeah, it's definitely a, a a hazard of the occupation. You know. So. Right. Mm, mm, mm. I just and yet. I, I guess ninety nine percent of it's money. Is that the motivation? Uh, the stuff I worked, yeah. The uh, the vast majority of what we did, it was uh, it was uh, the, the, the drug conspiracies, the human trafficking conspiracies. Uh, uh, you know, weapons cases for the most part. You know, it was all uh, technology. Most of it was done was being done for profit. You know, and so, but but like I say, but then you know later on, I mean, when we became Homeland Security, all of a sudden we ended up working a lot of cases that involved pedophiles, child pornography, sex trafficking, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, human slavery type of cases, and and uh, and those those are different. They're they're, for lack of a better term, cases of passion. You know, that they call a homicide a case of passion. I don't know where they get that term, but that's what it's called. But but it, it's really, but then, it, yes, you know, you're just no, it's, it's not a, those cases that fall that that category, uh, they're not a profit case. But I, I worked very few of those. I had, a lot of my agents worked quite a few of the, the pedophile cases, so I'm very familiar with them. And, uh, but, uh, but as far as, for the most part, when I worked, it was all, it was all crimes for profit. So. What, were you uh, involved in any way with the, um, uh, the sale of the uh, weapons to uh, Mexico that uh, or, or the giving of weapons to Mexico cartels and uh, uh, you talk about the Fast and Furious case yes sir yeah now our Homeland Security investigations if any agency should have been involved in that it should have been us and it should have been our the FBI because that falls into what we do that was a uh, Moving, you know, like I said, the ATF, unless they have new constitutional, I mean, or new congressional authority that I don't know of, uh, they're a domestic enforcement agency. The ATF was running that show, and uh, they don't have border search authority, and they don't have the legal authority to work uh, those type of cases. I say that falls to Homeland Security Investigations, and it falls to uh, the FBI. And so, number one, they shouldn't have even been working that case. And the number two, I mean, all the time I spent on the border, the last thing we were ever going to do was, was letting weapons go to the cartels in Mexico. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, it's like feeding a, a hornet's nest. And so 
I know I, I know what they were trying to do, but uh, the whole thing was pretty well ill conceived, and, and uh, I don't I don't have the answers on on why they went that direction without getting involved with the FBI or, or Homeland Security investigations. But but of course it was tragic. Uh, Brian was it Brian Terry, I believe, the, the troll agent who was shot and, and killed, you know, by one of the uh, weapons that was smuggled out of the country undercover by the ATF to the cartels. And, uh, and I, I don't think it was so much it was uh, undercover, if I remember right on the case. It was just they were just they were monitoring gun shows, and the cartels would come in and buy these guns and smuggle them out of the country. And so, you know, there was a lot of things there that uh, violated law and violated, you know, memorandums of understanding and protocols. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, in my opinion, the whole thing was was an illegal operation, and they they got by with it. You know, somehow they managed to pull it off. So that's got to be frustrating from your side of the coin, or from an agent's side of the coin. When uh, you know, and, and the thing is, that the people I worked with, and this was taught to me from the very beginning, by especially by Dan Sutton, was my first supervisor. Is that uh, you know, we were not. If, an agent of the government, their concern should be provide, you know protecting your freedoms in this country. That should be why they do it, and your constitutional rights, and and uh, and making sure that they don't overstep, and they're trained to not overstep their authority. And so, yeah, when you see a situation like that where authority is not just overstepped, it's just kicked totally out of the way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it irritates guys like me who, you know, did the best that they could to play by the rules and to do, to be fair with the people that they investigate, you know. So the way that they did it, I mean, I just, uh, I don't know, I don't know why there wasn't more inquiries into it by the, in, by the inspector general of all the involved agencies. So. Well, I think that whole thing had a very bad aroma to it from the beginning with that being said we're going to take a quick break we'll be back with mr bostick right after this get your pen and paper ready if there's a move in your near future i'm here to tell you that the folks i used and now recommend is around town movers timothy and the guys recently moved me and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call him. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Agent in Charge, and I, I'm just finding this show absolutely fascinating, Sandy, and I appreciate the information that you're giving us, and uh, I hope everybody else does. And, I, and, you know, reminder, too, that you can always listen to this show tomorrow or the next day and um, any of our shows. And we've got uh, another good show starting up very shortly that I think you're familiar with that you, you know we're going to be doing is a sports management show. And um, we've got a gentleman that has, has his degree in sports management, and he'll be talking about the uh, other side of professional sports, and that's uh, everything from the players to the managers to the owners up and down the gambit, and uh, it will be very informative, and it will, it's going to be on uh, Fridays at, uh, it'll be on Fridays, I believe, at 11 o'clock, and uh, then we'll replay the show on Saturdays because we want everybody to... Uh, be able to get their bets. No, no, we're not into that kind of stuff. But. <laughs> I'll be sure and listen in. No, <laughs> no, without I, a doubt. Uh, and you know who it is, by the way. I, I know you know who it is. So, uh, but it should be a, a, a great, great show. And it's it's you know the every time somebody and this has been going on for fifteen years says sports and I just sort of shiver and say no because most of the times it's somebody that says, well, I was a little league baseball pitcher and i played baseball for 10 years and i know everything about but well you know who are you but this gentleman it's a totally different approach and uh, i think everybody will enjoy it and find out again something that are a lot that they didn't know about professional sports and uh, what's going on behind the scene what's going to go on what uh, the pandemic has done to professional sports and what it's done to the draft coming up. So it'll be something to start listening to on Fridays and then again on Saturday mornings. So uh, tune in. We'll replay Friday show Saturday mornings, and uh, it should be very good. So back to a great show, yeah. Back to investigations. uh, And... What we need to know about being investigated, you kick and run. <laughs> well, like I say, if you know in advance, sometimes that may be the best thing to do. But anyway, but unfortunately, like the, out of my uh, last few years of my career, that was kind of my specialty. I found those people that that uh, broke our laws and then tried to run, and I would find ways to get them back here to stand trial. You know, it was kind of my one of my specialties. And uh, but uh, anyway, so I just want to. Start on this, and just I want to use an example. And this is uh, a lot of what I'm going to talk about now. If you haven't seen the movie about Richard Jewell, then you should. It's a uh, this movie was made by Clint Eastwood. He directed and produced it, and uh, and it's a story that you and I talked about last night, Dave. It's about Richard uh, Richard Allsworth Jewell, and he was from Atlanta. And in 1960, 1996, during the summer Olympics, there he was he was working as, as a security guard. And uh, he found a, uh, a backpack uh, that turned out to be an explosive device, and uh, and it, it did detonate. But he was he managed to move. Uh, uh, he saved a, 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 he turned a, a tragedy. He kept a tragedy from turning into a disaster, and a disastrous tragedy. So he uh, managed to get people away from the pipe bomb, and uh, I can't remember exactly how many people were injured. 
that there were, uh, I don't think there were any deaths. But anyway, so he's in a heroic act, and then he was investigated by, uh, by the FBI. And, uh, because they started, number one, they allowed the media to get involved. Basically, they did everything that you shouldn't do that I'm going to talk about, that I have been talking about. As far as, you know, uh, overstepping authority, uh, dealing with the media. And basically, they, before he was never charged with, with any, any, any crime, but he was a wannabe, uh, police officer, uh, wanted to love law enforcement, wanted to become a federal agent. And, uh, and, and basically they, he was viewed by the media and the FBI as, as having arranged this whole thing to make himself look like a hero and be more attractive to other agencies that might hire him. And so, but anyway, so I don't want to cover the whole story, but, you know, he was exonerated. And, uh, after he went through a, a, a terrible investigation that they ruined his personal life and, and the media was, was printing all this false uh, information about him, which we see a lot going on today to us as well. And the actual person eventually was a guy by the name of Eric Rudolph, was the guy who was the bomber. So, uh, anyway, see the, see the movie and, uh, it gives you a good idea of, of what goes wrong when they're not, when they, when the federal authorities overstep their authority. And, uh, and also is a good lesson, especially the way his, he worked with his attorney in this movie was, uh, is a good example of the way you should approach, you know, uh, your own defense in the in the event that you ever are prosecuted, you know. So uh, that said, uh, first, you know, any any questions on Richard Jewell, Dave? No, any I, comments? I, no, I, I was thinking about another infamous uh, case in Atlanta: the uh, uh, child m- murders. That uh, this was back in the eighties, uh, I guess. Um, Late eighties, and they finally arrested a gentleman, and they proved that he was the one that had been uh, um, killing the uh, killing the kids. And uh, they uh, his biggest uh, and, and and it was funny because a friend of mine, uh, Scott Newell, was a reporter at uh, Channel Eleven, and Scott and I had been friends for a long time. And uh, Scott said they're going to hang him on uh, carpet fiber. And uh, that's what ultimately they got him on. Um, and wow. uh, he had killed, I, I can't remember, 12, 13, 14 kids. And uh, it wow. was, uh, you know, everybody was involved with it. Local, federal, everybody. And uh, But it was fi- finally forensics that they got him. And I'm wow. sure, yes. sure you work closely, very closely with labs uh, in your career. Oh yeah, and you know, as I say, they, uh, you know, especially with fingerprints uh, and uh, and just a number of things. You know, one of the uh, one of my uh, last cases as a uh, street agent was uh, I talked about is the uh, Martinez trucking case, and we actually convicted two of the uh, two of the uh, defendants in that case who were uh, who were uh, indicted, arrested, and convicted. Were also involved. There were three homicides in the case, and uh, and these two brothers had, had committed all three of them. But they were killing other people inside the Mexican mafia that they didn't trust, and and so uh, we decided to we working with the sheriff's department there in uh, Uvalde County. 
we decided to go ahead. We knew we finally came up with enough evidence on one of the homicides. And uh, believe it or not, the thing that, that really, uh, to, to go ahead and get these guys uh, convicted on, on capital murder of the state, we didn't go federal. We went with the state because uh, we, we could not connect uh, any of the narcotics involved in, in their the predicate case to uh, this homicide. It was, it, was a homo- it was a drug homicide, but we couldn't connect it to our, our main supplier. So the state went ahead and took it and did it on the Capital One. But the, the evidence that really turned the case around was a beer can that we found at the uh, at the site where the uh, this guy's name was Rogelio Mata. They'd shot him and killed him on the side of the road. And uh, we found a beer can that had uh, DNA evidence on it from one of the uh, the guy who shot him. And so, yeah, the, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's much easier today to get a conviction than it was 30 or 40 years ago, no doubt. Sandy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's state until I cross. It's it's Georgia until I cross into Alabama. Then it becomes federal. Is that correct? Uh, it all depends. Uh, yes, technically yes, but in most cases, you know, they're gonna they're gonna bring you back to the state where you committed the crime. And so, uh, and so, it, it, a lot of this it, it, it depends too. I mean, on on the actual crime, you know. And so, uh, that's a that's going to be a better one for one of our lawyers, like I say, because there there's a lot of rules that go into that that uh, we could do an entire show on that one as well. But we got to get an attorney here. Keep mark that question down. We'll ask you. you know, <laughs> okay. Point it does because so, all everything I did was pretty was, was all federal, and so and I was chasing guys all over the country and the world. So, you know and. Uh, but, uh, but a lot of times when you go this far, but in this particular case, like I say, we we didn't have the evidence to show that the the, the two the two kilos of cocaine that Mr. Mata was killed about, we did killed over. We didn't have the evidence to prove that it was part of our drug conspiracy from our main producer, which was the guy by the name of Johnny Martinez. And so the RICO statute did not apply in that case because you have to have a direct connection to the conspiracy. And so uh, we didn't have a direct connection, even though it was a, a drug-related homicide. But so it did qualify under under state of Texas for their uh, for their uh, uh, murder guidelines for you know the, the, the elements of the crime for capital murder. So, uh, but anyway, so that said, you know the first thing, of course, you know uh, when you start thinking that when you think that you're under investigation, and uh, or you know you're under under investigation. The first thing you need to do is call, find you a good attorney, and explain to them why you believe or why you're being under investigated. Anything you tell your attorney is is protected through attorney-client privilege. You know, he's not the police. He's not going to he's not going to narc you out. And you really need to get some legal advice up front if you know it's coming. You really do. And cause a lot of times, a lot of these things can be avoided if if you know if you, you and your attorney go find out who's investigating. You just go sit down with them and say, okay. What do you guys want? What's going on? But like I say, so say you don't have that advance warning, and so uh, you don't figure it out. And, and some guy like me shows up one day, and uh, you know the first your first constitutional right under the, uh, well, you, the your two main constitutional rights are the Fifth and the Sixth Amendment. And the Fifth is the Fifth Amendment does not it, 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 it gives you the right to not incriminate yourself, not provide evidence against yourself. And the Sixth Amendment, of course, there's more elements to those, but the main thing there in the Sixth is it, it, it entitles you to the right to counsel in the event that you have to, uh, you are arrested and to have an attorney present with you. 
So, you know, when you hear about Miranda, you know, the case of Miranda was back in, I pulled this up this morning trying to remember all my, 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 uh, law history here. But it, it was the, uh, the, the case law came to the Supreme Court. It was, uh, Miranda versus state, state of Arizona. And in the original case, the defendant, Ernesto Miranda, with, he was Miranda, sorry, Miranda, was a 24-year-old high school dropout with a police record when he was accused in 1963 of kidnapping, raping, and robbing an 18-year-old woman. During a two-hour interrogation, Miranda confessed the crimes, but with his lawyers, uh, did a, obviously did a really good job in, uh, in making the case of the Supreme Court. They, they contended that Miranda had not been clearly informed of his rights to have a lawyer and to get self-incrimination, the Fifth and Sixth Amendment. So their appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was, you know, forever changed the way we operate. So, of course, you know, Miranda is, you, everybody's seen on all the TV shows. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in court of law. You know, by law, do you understand these rights? And there's several different, there's several variations of the Miranda warning. And, uh, each state and each, as a matter of fact, most of, most of the agencies, you know, their, their counsel writes up what that agency needs to advise that person of when they're arrested. So, but, the, 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 but here's the thing that, that you as a citizen need to remember about Miranda. When you're read the Miranda warning, you know, law enforcement, there's a lot of, there, there has to be two, for the Miranda warning to be given, there has to be two parts of the equation. Number one, there has to be custody. You have to be in custody. And number two, there has to be questioning, okay? If there's not custody, there's not questioning, there's no Miranda necessary. And so... And two, just when you when a person is arrested, you know the, the border patrol is bad about this. As soon as they arrest somebody, they read them the Miranda rights, and uh, and the person, you know, they just uh, and there's no but there's no questioning that follows up. They read them Miranda, take them to jail, they book them, and later then uh, they will be uh, interviewed or try to be interviewed. So basically, so that's the thing you need to remember. I never read the Miranda rights to anyone when I first arrested them because I, legally I wasn't I wasn't required to do so. And so, but once I got them back to the office and had them in detention, had them arrested and set them down and, and explained to them, I would read in detail to them the Miranda warning and, uh, and ask them if they wanted to answer questions. And you can waive your Miranda right, but like I say, you have the right to remain silent. That's the most important thing I tell everybody. You have the right to remain silent. You don't have to talk. I mean, there's, and we come from a society where we teach people that if you don't talk, you don't be part of the conversation, it's rude. This is one, this is definitely an exception to the rule. Because I've always said, you know, in most of my cases, you know, even after I gave people the Miranda warning and they chose to talk to me, I, uh, they usually gave me all the evidence I needed to, uh, to re get a, to get a, uh, a, a conviction on. And so, you're not required to do it. The government, the government is required to make its case against you. You're not required to make their case for them. So that's the first thing. I tell people when when uh, I got this advice from a very good attorney up in Baltimore years ago because you know when when a, a person is indicted and arrested and, and you get past the uh, the preliminary hearings, then at one point the government has to turn over all this electronic printed and all the evidence that's going to present a trial to the defense attorney. And so I uh, presented a, a a box of cassette tapes back then on a guy by the name of Jose Lolobar, and uh, who was, we had to, had already arrested him and his family for uh, smuggling caviar, and using it as a, a money laundering tool to help the Iranian government procure uh, weapons, uh, you know, military hardware for their helicopters, different things like that. But anyway, so he knew at one point that he was under investigation, and so he agreed to come in and talk to us without his attorney, 
and uh, so we, of course, recorded the whole thing. And so when I turned him over to uh, turn him over to his attorney, he he looked at me. And he said, "You know," he said, "the best advice I can give anybody out there." He said, uh, "If a federal agent shows up at your door and says, will you talk to us?'" He said, "The first words out of your mouth should be, do you have a warrant for my arrest?'" And if the word is no, do you have a warrant to search my house?" If the word is no, if your answer is no, then he said, "Just kind of just politely say." Then I don't want to talk to you. If you. Give me your card. I'll have my attorney contact you. That's <laughs> 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 about as solid advice as I can give you. Because, like I say, you don't want to incriminate yourself. And I say this because here's the thing: I've I've seen I've seen people's constitutional rights uh, get drugged to the mud. I've seen these dirty tricks that cops play. And I, everybody needs to stay on the, on the same playing field because the, talk, the Constitution is not just for a select bunch of people. It's for everybody in this country. And so it's important that you know your constitutional rights, you know. And so, uh, so any question on Miranda Day? No, I, I, one of the things that, as you were talking about it, and we all sort of know you have the right to remain silent, anything, and da da. But for years, and like I said, most of our education has been the tube. But you'd have one one cop or one agent or whatever. Pull out his little sheet of paper that had the Miranda. You you assumed it had the Miranda rights on it, and then other times, yeah, the guy just whoever the cop just rattled it off. So, is there anything to say? Okay, he rattled something off, but I didn't understand him, or you know, I, he didn't pull out the sheet that had the actual rights on it. So we, I that's one of the reasons that when I got back, when I had the suspect back in my office, and I would read Miranda to them, they would I'd get them to sign the form as well, and we would we would also uh, videotape it, showing it, and then, of course I had a, I had a witness there as well. Because the thing is, I mean, it can go it can go bad against the cops as well, and so uh, so to answer your question, you know, at our agency use the same Miranda warning every time. You're required by the agency when you arrest someone to present them with the Miranda warning that Homeland Security Investigations had uh, said was was adequate for our agents to give. And like I say, and then it was signed that was it was initialed by the person that it was read to them, you initialed it, your witness initialed it. And where there was and it was in most chance most most cases it was uh, video recorded. So there was no you know, there was no uh, uh, chance for somebody to come back and say, Hey, you know, these guys you know, trick me or they beat me or whatever. So, you know, we took that very, 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 very seriously. And the thing is, in my advice to anyone, and it goes into our, our next uh, uh, part here, is that you, you do need a good lawyer. And you need to, you know, when you realize that you're under investigation or you've been arrested, I mean, you need to do some research and get you a good uh, attorney. In most cases, you're gonna, the, the judge is going to make you uh, let you make bail unless you're really involved with some heavy, uh, you know, uh, trafficking in some type or some type of dangerous activity. And so, uh, you know, you need to get a good attorney. And, and I tell everybody, you just don't, don't think about what you see on television. Do what's real. And they're going to give you good advice and, and do what they tell you. I mean, definitely do what they tell you. But now here's the, I should have put this back with Miranda. Uh, the, one of the most important things to do when you find out that you're being investigated and, uh, is, is, you know, don't lie to the cops. Don't lie to them. You're better off to not say anything than to lie. Because if you lie, I think we talked about it earlier, all lies fall apart. And believe me, if you lie, I mean, whatever you say is going to be, it's going to be cross-examined by that prosecutor. 
and and those guys are good. I mean, they're they're professional wordsmiths. That's what they do. And so, you know, your best bet is to say nothing if you're in in uh, if uh, all means, you know, don't lie. Now, there's a lot of people that lied have lied to me in the past, and we didn't prosecute them because we got them on a uh, on a on a uh, a different different uh, uh, offense. But like Martha Stewart, you know, I've always said that's you know that she that's the the, the perfect example is that uh, you know she didn't go to jail because she had insider information. She went to jail because she lied to the police. And now, I, my opinion, I think that she got a raw deal because I think the reason she got prosecuted is because she was a celebrity. And uh, but at the same time, I mean, it can happen to you too. So you're better off not saying anything than uh, than to to tell a lie. You know? And, and so, it's not like they can beat it out of you. As we see, not anymore. <laughs> no, back in the old days, they did. I'm sure you heard that. I've heard some old Texas Rangers tell me stories when the space was mostly when they were, you know, in a in a emergency situation where they were trying to recover a kidnapped person or, or trying to find someone that had been killed. You know, I've heard them taking a, uh, and I remember those milk jugs they'd have on or a, a pail, you know, milk pail, and mm-hmm. put it over a guy's head, and they beat that pail, pail, uh, pail, bail with a, a baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> hurt the person but i'm sure it gave you a splitting headache you know i could only imagine <laughs> and so but no we didn't do that for anybody who's right then uh, we did not do that we were not allowed to do that so uh but anyway so now following along the same line here you know once you've got you a good attorney involved involved you know you're uh, you're you're here communicating he's in he's gonna he's communicating with the with the prosecutor's office you know, only talk to agents and prosecutors with your attorney of present. With your attorney present. I mean, you're paying them to be there, and uh, don't ever get, you know, number one, they should not trick you into uh, talking to them without your attorney present. Once you invoke the right to counsel, that's it. They can't talk to you anymore without talking to your attorney first, and the attorney has to give them privilege, has to give them permission to speak with you. So always never talk to, uh, to uh, whoever's prosecuting you without your attorney present. And uh, do what they tell you, and uh, but here's the thing too, and that you just the reality of the situation. I mean, if you are involved in something that more than just yourself, it, you know, assume that the, the, the federal agents already know everything. And most time they're just trying to just verify with you. They, most time they do. They 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 pretty much they they wouldn't be there if they didn't have good evidence to get you already. And so when when you're talking to them, I mean, the first thing your attorney should be doing. It, it say ho- hopefully you didn't do it. Hopefully it's just a misunderstanding. Hopefully that that you'll get acquitted. It was all you know. Everything was, was it was false information, and that happens a lot of times. But in most cases, they're not going to be there unless you were involved in something criminally. And so uh, you need to make a deal as soon as you can, because the lo- the longer you wait, the less they have to offer to you. And so everybody says, well, I don't want to be a snitch. I don't want to be a snitch. They all talk. Hear, hear me, folks. They all talk. At some point, they get to the point they say, "Hey, I'm going to spend the next thirty or forty years here. I need to get up there and talk to these guys." And you know, kind of get through this time cut back. So, like I always said, you know, first one to the table gets the best meal, <laughs> and uh, and the best deal. So, you know, so you need to start pushing your attorney to if you if you don't want to go to jail, you're better off. In, in most cases, if you if you were involved, and you were indicted, then uh, you know you need to uh, be realistic about it. And say, hey, do I want to spend the rest of my life in jail, or do I want to get out and try to do something with it, and change things around, and, and uh, get out of this type of lifestyle? You know. So, uh, so anyway, so that's uh, trying to think what else we have here. 
I've got a question. Uh, I've got a question Go for you, Sandy. Uh, okay, and you were talking about in many cases, uh, not only across the border from. Texas into Mexico, but you might have to go to Puerto Rico or who knows where. Uh, and right. so you catch up with Joe Blow, and uh, and you're working with the local authorities. And uh, is so you say uh, at that point, do you read them the if you've got them in jail in a foreign country? Do you read them? the Miranda, or do you wait until you bring them back into the States? I do. But like I say, though, but it, it all depends, like I say, because until they're in your custody, okay, until they're in your custody, you know, like I say, the, it's whatever the host country that arrests them, it's, it's their rules. they got to play by, you play by their rules until they remand them to your custody. Then once they remand into your custody, then, of course, you know, you need to, you know, if you're going to, if you have... I say the, the two uh, the two aspects of Miranda. If you have if you have custody and you have and you're questioning the person about what they did, then you have to have Miranda. So my advice and what I would do the most time this usually I would find these people for other case agents and uh, it would be up to them and their attorney how they wanted to approach this person. Whether it be and I would arrange for them to come to whichever country it is that that uh, that that, that uh, executed our Interpol warrant, you know, for this person. And uh, I would advise them, and the agents come over and let them take care of all that because they'd have been from they'd have instructions from their attorney. But in any case, I'd be involved if I was going to go in there in a foreign country. It wouldn't matter where it was in the world, as long as they, if I was going to ask them questions and they were in custody, I would read them Miranda because that way you're covered. It's just like a search warrant. I don't know why anybody would ever go search a, a house or a vehicle without a warrant because it just covers you. You know, you want you want that judge. You want a judge, USA and uh, individuals. Well, you want a judge scrutinizing everything, information going back and forth to make sure that everything that's going on is legal. So to answer your question, yes, I would do that, but I didn't do that very often because, for the most part, I was referring that that person that we had caught back to the uh, the case agent back in the states who was prosecuting the case. Okay, well that that answers that. So uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll run anyway, to Canada. So yeah. So, just like I say, I, my advice to you is to, you know, Fifth Amendment says you don't have to testify against yourself or provide, inf- or provide uh, evidence against yourself. In very, very rare circumstances, I, you know, you may want to get everybody else to live with. If I get up in front of the jury and they hear my story, you know, then they're going to believe me. Well, that's not necessarily true because, remember, that prosecutor, he's, he's a wordsmith just like just like your attorney is, and uh, he's going to bring out every aspect about that case and about your character and, and what you've done and what you haven't done. Sandy, so, you I, know, you're better off. I, I hate to pull ahead. the plug on you, but we're out of time. You've done oh, it again. so much fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, we will be back with more next week on Agent in Charge, and we're very pleased and... and uh, it's just very fortunate to have Sandy Bostick doing the show, and I, I'm finding this quite interesting and uh, quite informative. I guess that's a good word, isn't it? Quite informative. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week with Sandy. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.